Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome, welcome to, to the, the C4SO, C4SO podcast. podcast. Hey everybody, Bishop Todd Hunter here. Welcome to the C4SO podcast. I'm flying solo today, but I'm flying with a good friend. We have the delight of hearing from Matt Dampier, who's the Associate Rector at Christ Church Austin. I had the privilege when I was there this summer to go out on the streets with Matt and experience his work with the homeless. It was life-altering illumination. It was life-altering heart work. And it was a joy to see Matt do what he does as we uh, prayed for them, gave Eucharist to the baptized, allowed them to pray for us. I can't wait for you to get a glimpse into this world from Matt Dampier. Hey, Matt, good afternoon. Todd, good to see you. Good to see you too. You know, I've spent a lot of time this summer in Texas, so I've, I feel like I've seen you more than normal. You have seen me and you have felt Texas heat this summer. Oh, man, we did feel some <laughs> Texas heat. You know, yeah. we're going to get in, we're going to get into this story because we want to get into your ministry amongst those who uh, live on the streets around Christchurch in Austin. But just before we get there, I've I've just noticed Matt in the last few weeks from things I've read in the news or whatever that there's some changing in the vocabulary about how we refers to people who are on the streets or without homes mm-hmm. or that sort of thing or you know the old the old word was just the homeless you know mm-hmm. so before we get into some of our other stuff and we start using words let's make sure that we're helping our audience from your point of view as, as, you know, kind of an expert practitioner on this. What is the current language for what we used to call, quote, the homeless? And why is this language changed? Why is this important to us as Christ followers? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, homeless is like just the catch-all umbrella term that we've used mm-hmm. for years. Underneath it, the current term that most people are using is people or person experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's become the new word, um, one, it's putting the accent on personhood and just uh, the dignity. I mean, the dignity yeah. of everyone. And as yeah. Christians, we want to say made in the image of God. This right. is the defining reality of the person, not mm-hmm. whether or not they're sleeping inside. But there's actually a practical reason for that. And it, it gets to most people who are experiencing homelessness. You know, you, we, you might think in your mind, in your imagination, of a war veteran, perhaps, or mm. maybe someone who is chronically battled an addiction. And that's kind yeah. of the image you have in your mind. That's actually not the picture of most homelessness. Most mm. homelessness people dip in and out of homelessness over a short mm. period of time. And so it's it's really they're experiencing for brief stints homelessness. So a person mm. who's experiencing homelessness, not a person who is chronically okay. in that state. Right. Um, that's some of the, the reason behind it. But then there's other terms as well. And so as we talk about around our church, Christ Church, mm-hmm. uh, there are chronically homeless people. And that's a person who spent more than a year on the streets. Mm. The interesting thing, though, about um, a person experiencing homelessness, and there's there's different ways of like counting who's homeless. And so we have this thing mm. every January that the federal government does. And this is super important because it deals with like, where is money going? So everyone's yeah. concerned with, with this thing called the point in time count. Mm. And the point in time count is everyone in the city 
um, all the social workers and nonprofits go out in the night and they look around and they try to see how many people can we find sleeping outdoors. They've got like a metric that they're using to determine how many people we find versus don't find. Um, In any one night in America, there's about 600,000 people sleeping on the streets, people experiencing Mm -hmm. homelessness. Over the span of a year, there are 1.6 million people experiencing homelessness. And so what this shows us is that people dip in and out of homelessness all the time. Mm. And so you've got just a, I almost think of like you're surfing this wave between housed and unhoused. Yeah. And, um, and so that's really the, the reason the shift in the language person experiencing homelessness, it's supposed to make you reframe your mental image of what do we mean by a person uh, on the streets or out of sleeping rough or outdoors. Right. Well, as you know, as a, as a now longtime working pastor that, especially in the last seven or eight years, it feels like things get instantaneously made political. Um, yes. And it feels like theology and Bible is nuanced and takes a little time to talk about and think through. But politics, man, that can happen in a split second. So to help us help us and our audience think about this. Why is your work not simply woke? Or, you know, that sort of pejorative thing of, mm-hmm. you know, this is sort of leftist or woke or I don't know, the progressive, the kind of things that people might accuse people of who care about working with the people that you work with. I, I want you to give our listeners an imagination for how you came to this with God, with the spirit, with the scriptures. I I would say it's not woke just because it's biblical. Like there's, I mean, that's kind <laughs> yeah. of like the punchy answer right back. But yeah, I mean, I read... um you know, Leviticus 25 is like the Jubilee year. And mm-hmm. hey, let me just start it behind that. All of scripture, we're all homeless. Like that is mm-hmm. the story of scripture. We've all lost home with God. We've been kicked out of the garden. And so the rest of the story is like, how are we going to get rehomed? How do we get brought back into the family of God? And then you just see all throughout scripture, of you go to Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 15, those wonderful texts about what does it look like when God, when God's people are really living out his kingdom, it says stuff like there won't be any poor, or if Mm. there are poor, those who have become poor, and there's even a word, those who have um, become so poor, they've become thin. Those Mm. people will be cared for. And you see it in places like that. You see it in the law. You see it in the prophets, Isaiah 58. What's it going to be like? What's a true fast? What's real spirituality? It's and it's breaking the yoke of oppression. It is welcoming the poor into your home. Mm. Um, so I think that for me, the genesis really is, I just want to be faithful to scripture. And then I just think the church is called to love their neighbors. Mm. There, it's not more complicated than that. I don't know the, yeah. the politicalization of that. Yeah. Um, although I suppose, you know, that, that that can get you in trouble. Jesus certainly got in trouble for that, but Mm -hmm. just to love your neighbor is really all we're talking about here. Around Christ Church, our geographic parish, there are a number of unhoused people living on the streets. And so Mm -hmm. we're just asking the question, what does it mean to love our unhoused neighbors and to follow, to try and take seriously to follow Jesus's command to love him, to love our neighbors. Yeah. So when I was with you guys uh, earlier this summer, you graciously invited me to walk with you as you do, I think every Sunday after church, uh, to walk those few, that few block radius around your church, um, ministering to these people who are experiencing homelessness. 
And the day that we went, I think we were dragging, or probably you were dragging it. You probably (laughs) wouldn't let me do it. Dragging a cooler with cold drinks. And we had things for, uh, we had elements for Eucharist. I know sometimes you take snacks or whatever. What was the inspiration for this work beyond what you have said already about, you know, your own sense of spirituality and biblical faithless faithfulness. But beyond that, how did you, I mean, lots of people see what you see. Talk about the spark of inspiration that got you going on this. Yeah. So this, um, it actually came out of the pandemic and there was a a moment where it's gosh, that's like May or June of 2020. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone is figuring out what are, what is church right now? We're just all asking the question. And, um, and trying to figure things out. So myself, I'm the associate rector, Cliff Warner's the rector, mm-hmm. Wes Crawford, our, our worship leader. We're all driving into church on Sunday with about five other folks to broadcast yeah. um, like just a Eucharistic service out to right. our people. So I'm driving into the church and I'm seeing um, a, a really, we have a really nice church building downtown and just empty room and and we're, we're broadcasting this out. We're consecrating the elements and then we're taking them and trusting that people at home that we've been able to get consecrated elements to them. Mm-hmm. As I'm driving in on Sundays, there is a growing homeless encampment uh, mm-hmm. across the street, about two blocks away from us. And, um, and you know, it's just it keeps growing over the course of the block. And I remember one day I'm driving in and just thinking like, you know, probably someone ought to do something about that. Someone ought to mm-hmm. care or love those people. And, you know, those people very much yeah, in other yeah. in common, you can hear. Yeah. And, um, and I, I remember going home shortly thereafter and reading, I was reading through the gospels, Luke at the time, I think. And I came to the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Oh, and yeah. it just struck me like in mm. that parable, there's the rich man and there's this beggar named Lazarus. And uh, by the way, that's the only parable where Jesus ever names one of his characters. You know, he doesn't say like, he doesn't say like, Hey, there's a a father and he's got two sons and one runs off or there's a woman looking for a coin and she finds it. There's a rich man and there's Lazarus. And Mm. the hero of that story is Lazarus. And, um, and I'd read some John Chrysostom has a series of sermons on those. And they talk about how Mm. Lazarus actually is a man of faith and everything else. And I just thought I'm participating in playing out this parable in my city right now. I've got Mm. a a wonderful church building and I'm, I'm able to participate in some ways on a Sunday that maybe there's baptized believers on the street who aren't. I started asking the question very much from a, what's called a developmental mindset. So there's mm-hmm. this book, When Helping Hurts, and it talks yes. about mm-hmm. yeah, how sometimes how even our best intention charities can uh, be not that great uh, as we're working with those in poverty. And I, I started asking the question, what might a, um, what might a church do to love our neighbors? And we have a soup kitchen nearby. We have a clothing ministry nearby. We have medical relief nearby. But I thought, I wonder if it would be appropriate for um, me as a priest to take consecrated elements to any baptized believers on the street who weren't able to worship. And that became the genesis of something Mm. that you get to participate in called street communion. And uh, I've been doing it now for about two years and wonderful stories of being with people on the streets. But that was kind of the spark that got it going. 
Yeah. So now that you've been doing it at a couple of years, Matt, what are the challenges you're noticing? Let's let's start just for you as a person. What's what's been challenging for you? Yeah. That, well, the first Sunday I did it, I think my big challenge is walking across the street, and I, <laughs> I got there and I'm looking at like there's flags flying, there's beer bottles, there's cans, people yeah. on couches. And um, I had the elements in my hand. I walked halfway across the and street. You're wearing and you're your you're wearing your clerical collar, right? Wearing my collar, I look very yeah. much the part. And I walk yeah. halfway across the street, and I just turn back around. And I, Todd, I got to be <laughs> honest. I prayed one of those prayers that was kind of like, God, I think you called me to this, but I'm I'm kind of afraid. So I'm just gonna <laughs> yeah. like give me some extra grace and forgiveness yeah. right now because I'm going home, and didn't serve a person. And so I think my first thing is like acknowledging there's a real fear. And, yeah. um, yeah. and I, I kind of was aware of that. And I would say some other things that, that have been challenging for me have been just the sustainability. I mean, at a practical mm. level, we have two services every Sunday. Yeah. I often am preaching or I'm often leading something. I've mm-hmm. got a family. And so I'm, um, I'm pretty drained at the end of the service, yeah. but then to take up the elements and to say for another couple of hours, I want to go and make these pastoral home visits is how I consider yeah. them to, yeah. uh, to those on the streets like that, that can be challenging. Mm-hmm. And then I would just say it is, um, anytime you're working amongst the poor, uh, there's a, there's a burnout fatigue for getting others involved and others mm-hmm. will very well intention get involved and throw themselves in wholeheartedly, but then go in too much or, or not have, mechanisms for being sustained in the work. And so um, keeping an active roster with me has been more challenging. And I'm still, I think that's something for me as a leader that I need areas I need to grow and and figure out how to recruit and involve more in this work. Yeah. And then like, how well known is your work in the community at Christchurch Austin? And what challenge is, if any, has this caused for you know, the, the wider church or the church staff or the vestry or that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I don't mean like, I'm not like searching for controversy. I'm just wanting our audience to like have a sense of like, this is, this is what's real. If you're going to do this. Totally. You know, I, I walked out one day, it was during Advent and we dress up, we get a little extra like liturgically fancy for Advent. So I yeah. was wearing like cassock surplus, had a stole flapping around. Um, yeah. And, and I was walking between- on the street. Walking on the streets. And I remember between one of the services, uh, it was like one of the Sunday mornings, I wanted to go show my friends under the bridge, like, hey, guys, y'all don't always come to church. Some of you do, some of you don't. Yeah. Um, this is what I look like when I'm all dressed up. And just to uh-huh. give you an, an image of that, and I heard there were a number of cars that were driving in that day. They were like, hey, we saw our priest <laughs> under the bridge. And what were you doing? Like, what was uh-huh. going on under there? What were you up to? Um and they, you know, the, some of the guys on the street, I think, got a bit of a kick out of it. But um, let me put my finger on it this way. Here's the challenge is churches are called to love their neighbors. And um, loving our neighbors is messy. I mm. mean, when we work, when you work with housed people, and people like you and me, yeah. we fit normally into culture. We get yeah. by and there you can put a lot of different adjectives in front of yourself as a mm-hmm. white male. I get by in a lot of spaces because yeah. of those two adjectives. And I get that. And I think also as a housed person, you just get mm-hmm. by in some normalcy. It's easier to cover up mess. You know, it's, it's easier just to show up on a Sunday morning. There, there's a way you can fit in. 
if you are living on the streets, you can't fit in. You cannot come on a Sunday morning and 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 just be part of the crowd. You can't disappear. You you mm-hmm. instantly stand out, and uh, people begin looking suspiciously at you. You have to wonder where do I place my bags? I'm carrying bags with yeah. me. Where do I place these things? Anytime I take someone on the street, I, some often will take them to meet with social workers, and uh, the the very first thing people always say to me, they say, "I'm sorry for how I smell." As soon as we get in the car and the door shut, I'm sorry for my very presence in your car because mm. I know I don't belong. Yeah. And there's a sense about that where I say, if I believe the gospel, if I truly think Jesus is taking the outsiders and making them insiders, and if I really believe this, then I smell. I'm offensive. I, I, mm-hmm. I just I have to keep that imagination. That is probably the biggest challenge is the mm. deeper trying to create community yeah. where housed and unhoused actually can form some bonds and there, and it's happened. There's a couple of small groups where it's happened and it's quite remarkable. Um, that, that is challenging, but there are also other moments where on a Sunday morning, for instance, it has happened that someone has spilled a giant bottle of pills and, Mm. um, and you know, some, some other adult, our congregation was wonderful and helped this person kind of gathers things or, one person I think was loudly, you know, just kind of moaning and groaning in the middle of the mm. service. And um, those kind of things happen and they, they become regular. And so trying to preserve a congregation that is warm, open, hospitable, willing to be vulnerable. I mean, you've been mm-hmm. to our church, Todd, just you, singing yeah. vibrantly, all of those yeah. things. And also incorporating people in not an othering way, but saying there actually is space for house, unhoused to worship together in the kingdom of God. And we don't, like James says, we don't try to make a differentiation between where you sit or what kind of clothes you're wearing, yeah, but we actually right. try to bring you together. That is, if I can say it, that is just really difficult. And um, and the more we talk about trying to step in together, trying to bridge this group, you know, I often tell people it is hard for it is hard for our congregation, our housed congregation, to walk with me under the bridge. That is a hard journey mm. for a person. What you did that day, that was hard, yeah. um, and probably made both of us feel uncomfortable in many different ways. It is equally hard for a person living outside on the streets to journey to a church congregation. That difficulty of that journey works both ways. And again, I just think these are points of connections for the gospel because then you start to say, but this is what Jesus did, right? Like he made the journeys that we can't make and he incorporates community that we can't do. And anyway. Yeah. Um, Matt, I want to take you back. I think I can hear some of our audience, you know, in my mind, I can hear some of our audience thinking, wait, 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 I want to go back to that time that Matt got halfway across the street and turned back because he was feeling fearful. Let's talk about that a bit more um, with the hope that your honesty, your vulnerability would help the rest of us. I think there's some adjectives that cohere or stand around that word fearful. Maybe it's awkwardness. Maybe it's a social sort of fear. Maybe it's a sense of, I feel bankrupt that I can't really do anything here. Maybe it's a, uh, a sense of impotency that the needs here are so much that that scares me. Maybe some of us have subconsciously dehumanized these people. And now to minister to them, we have to humanize them. And that can feel like a scary process. So for the sake of our listeners who who hear us and think, yeah, I, I really do want to be more attentive to this, but I do have simultaneously these blocks that feel like they are around the area of fear. Can you just say 
like if you can picture that listener, like what would you say to yeah, them? Great question. And I would say like, I often start by telling people I was afraid just to try mm-hmm. and normalize that. I do think that's yeah. a very common response. Mm-hmm. Um, let me, I'll address some of that. Let me start with a story though, for how okay. I started to overcome that fear. And um, so I, I walked back across the street and, you know, kind of uh, praying, God, forgive me. I, before I was uh, an Anglican priest, I was in uh, campus ministry in Kentucky. And that week, uh, the week that I walked back across the street, a friend of mine, a former student reached out to me and he said, Hey, I haven't talked to you in five or six years, but I had a dream about you this week. And this week in my dream, um, I kind of think it was from the Lord. This is one of those, I had a holy dream moments. And he said, in my dream, um, you were in like a giant football stadium and you were very up on the top row, uh, just sitting in your seat. And on the field were all of these people who were hurting and broken. And you could tell something was, was wrong in the field. And I looked up into the seat and I could see you were trying to get out of your seat, but something was holding you back. Mm. And I just got the sense that God was saying, he wants you down on the field. Mm. Do you have any idea what that dream might be about? And I was like, yeah, I think (laughs) I have an idea. So for me, I do think there was a sense of God calling, God Mm -hmm. inviting into something. And, um, and that, there's been a number of stories. What I've found, the deeper I go in working with those who are materially poor is the more often I encounter Christ and mm-hmm. those types of things of of the spirit speaking and, and confirming or making a live scripture, like those become more normal in yeah. a way that they aren't in other forms of work. And I can't explain why that is. But for our listeners who might be thinking about particularly the awkwardness or. Yeah, gosh, you know, I that push, that push pull. Like I feel drawn towards this, but there's also something in me that I repel if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe at like a a first level, I want to say, I want to tell people, trust your gut and Mm. never go in a place where you don't feel safe. Never go by yourself. And so that's just maybe like there is a legitimacy of fear that should be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, I would say, I do think sometimes sometimes we can put on the mentality of we are responsible for other people's well-being. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm responsible for accomplishing getting this person off the street or whatever else of that day. And I, I think unintentionally we can take over work that we're not supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is um, one of the principles in when helping hurts is never do for someone something they can do for themselves. Yeah. And so when I, when I start to overfunction and do for someone mm. something they could be doing for themselves, not only do I, I hurt them, but that, that can lead to my own eventual hurt and emotional yeah. unhealth. So I do wonder sometimes if people are aware they don't have, you don't have to do everything. Yeah. My, my encouragement for folks is literally, can you be a friend? Can mm. you be a, can you pay attention to a person? Can you, can you give them just your eyes, mm. your attention is, as, yeah. um, what is it? Simone Vail's like the greatest gift that we can give a person. The, the most generous gift is our attention. Like just yeah. to, to, to know a person and to hold them, just to hold their face, to hold their name. Um, Peterson, Eugene Peterson says, as numbers are to the mathematician and colors are to the landscape artist. So are names 
on the tongue of a Christian. Yeah. In other words, meaning like the thing we traffic in is names and stories. And so can you take uh, the kind of care that you might give to a parishioner and give it to someone on the street? Yeah. And I'm amazed every time I simply am willing to listen to a person, um, the awkwardness, the fear of the awkwardness, what am I going to do dissipates the fear of solving problems just kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. And, um, at, at heart, I think people want to be listened to, heard, invited in, given opportunity to share their story. And it's quite common for me to, uh, to be willing to listen and someone to speak for five minutes without any kind of response from my, they just wanting to be listened to by someone yeah. in society. Yeah. That's a great segue into what my next question was going to be. Cause that day that we walked around together, I noticed that you knew most of the people by name and that mm-hmm. there was what I would describe at least relatively an ease in your approach and other people's response to you. Now, maybe not in every single case, did you know people's names, but in general, it seems like you, you, you really are practicing there what you're preaching as we say, but unpack, unpack that a bit more. Why is that such a big deal for you? I mean, why do you think engaging people with their names is, is so important? Engaging people with their names is so important because it rehumanizes them, mm. giving them a sense of dignity. It's, um, you know, Howard Thurman in Jesus and the Disinherited, he says, hatred begins when you don't have contact, yeah. when, you, when you don't have intimacy with others. And so, you know, for me, um, I do think that my imagination is we're in a parish, which is like a geographic thing. It's a, yeah. it's a boundaried set. And so if the church is called to love, well, who are we called to love? We're called to love our neighbors in this parish. Mm-hmm. So all I'm doing is really as a parish priest, I'm just walking the parish yeah. and the parish, the people who happen to be on the front steps, their front steps are mostly just tents is where yeah. they live. So I'm walking around making home visits to people who live in their tents and then um, just like a parish priest, I'm, I'm remembering who lives at each place. And I do have, you know, I keep a note in my phone with different names on there and people are moving in and out of our area. But sure. there is a sense of um, the first time I did this, it was rather awkward. Uh, over the years, it gets a little bit easier. And so there's some familiarity. I'm known on the streets as Father Matt. I'm, I'm walking in with my outfit on, my uniform. Yeah. And I do think the collar helps in a, a way of identifying mm-hmm. you with the uniform. So there is something that comes with like, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And you kind of start to also get respect in certain Mm. areas where people are expecting you and they're looking for you and they're asking for you to come. And so I can think of um, that day you were with me, we we were able to serve someone, Mary, who um, had just gotten out of the hospital. Yes, she was living in that. like like a, a concrete slab. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was like a concrete, like it had been built as a shed or something. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and she was having trouble walking. She was out of the yeah. hospital, but she, and do you remember she apologized? She said, I couldn't make your birthday party. Yeah. I was in the hospital. And so I'd been looking for her for a few weeks of just wanting to know where is she? There's another person, uh, Christabella on the streets who she was able, I turned 40 not too long ago. And mm-hmm. so Todd, one thing we do is, um, anyone on the streets, if they're having a birthday, we throw a big birthday bash under the bridge and yeah. I'm not kidding. We've got like, we'll have some of our little kids there. We'll have people under the bridge. I mean, it's just a kingdom party that we do. And, um, and so they were throwing one for me because it was my Mm. birthday and Christabella had come to it and it was so beautiful. What she said, she said, 
um, I normally, I normally just feel anxious being around people, but you've been serving me communion for two years. I wanted to come and I didn't feel anxious sitting here at this picnic bench with all these people. Mm. I just kind of felt a sense of belonging. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's really, that's all I'm after is this loneliness epidemic that we talk about in America. Yeah doesn't it just affect those in the city or those in the suburbs or wherever you might be? Mm-hmm. It's affecting everyone. And I think those on the streets are, uh, they're wanting, there's a, for every human, there's a wantingness to be known. Mm-hmm. And if we can offer that and we can say, Christ really knows you, loves you, uh, you belong to him. Then I think that, that to me is like just kind of the picture of the gospel. And so one story I remember is um, there's a man on the street, I've been serving for several years, a Roman Catholic, and uh, he wouldn't, for a long time, wouldn't receive communion from me, and but would always allow me to pray for him. His name's Johnny. And I recently, I say recently, about a year ago, I started hiring, I hired him to uh, pick up trash around our property for $10 a week. And so mm-hmm. he'll, throughout the week, he'll come and just with his little bag and pick things up. And he started coming to get paid on Sunday mornings. And I noticed um, he was coming closer and closer. He'd come in and get a cup of coffee. He'd come and wait mm. in our courtyard at church yeah. while I, I went and got his money. One day on the streets, he allowed me for the first time ever to serve him communion. And it was mm. a moment of just such joy of, yeah. of this. I noticed a few weeks later, um, he was coming into our church service. And then I saw him coming up in communion line. And wow. Just as a pastor, you just you have insight into what's going on in people's lives. Mm-hmm. He comes forward to stand shoulder to shoulder with other people who believe in God, other flawed, sinful people who are putting their trust in God. And on his right is a family whose their marriage is rocky and they're considering how do we can we turn this? Mm-hmm. On his left are two highly elected officials. You know, we're in Austin, mm-hmm. the capital. Yeah. So there's selected government officials. Right there in the middle is this person, Johnny, who mm. has been chronically homeless for five years. All of them open hands saying, yeah. I'm ready to receive the body and blood of Christ. Listening Amen. to the sermon that yeah. day. And I just thought, this picture right here, this is the God. No kidding. Right? Oh, that's so great, Matt. Again, if you look back over your years of doing this, what do you get to see and experience week in and week out that you wish others could like, what's the experience you wish you could share with others that you get to see? Yeah. I think, I think I see a lot of hope and that might be surprising, but when I'm with my friends on the streets, there's a deep hope that God really is good and really does care for them. There's a hope that prayers get answered immediately. There's a hope that in the middle of sin and addiction and seemingly no way out, still God is good. And I was with some guys uh, under the bridge not too long ago, and we had just seen something I mean, really terrible. And um, and I, it actually brought tears to my eyes. And I was, I was walking off as kind of downcast, and this man turned to me and just said, Hey, Father Matt, smile. God's still here. And I just thought that's a message that, that I need. And I think it's really easy in the space that I occupy socially. I'm driving kids to school. I've got soccer practices, Mm -hmm. there's vestry meetings. Um, My wife's on a board. She's working. I'm working. It's very easy to hit autopilot in my life, in my faith. Yeah. Uh, 
and to think that, you know, I've just all is well. And when people walk with me on the streets, one of the things that we always do, and we did this when you were there that day, we'll serve communion, but then it's very important that we ask and we'll pray for people. And then it's very important that we ask, and now having just served you, will you put your hands on our shoulders and will you pray for us that we do that flip the script Mm -hmm. thing. We're in the kingdom of God. We're exactly equal. Mm-hmm. And and in that moment, what often happens, someone will pray, someone living on the streets will pray, God, would you protect these people? Yeah. God, would you bless them? Would you make sure that you feed them? And I had a friend with me one day who just said, I've never prayed for my own protection. I've never prayed for my daily bread. Even though I say mm. those words, give us this day our daily yeah. bread. I never actually think because yeah. I'm so, I'm praying. Most often my prayers are prayers of convenience. Like, God, don't let me be inconvenienced. Yeah. Whereas someone on the streets is praying, God, deliver me. God, yeah. rescue me. God, help me. And there's there's just a depth of hope that I find my faith is much richer yeah. when I'm with those on the streets. Yeah. One of my memories of being with you that day was the care that people did have for you. And, and I think I remember two or three people praying for your safety Yeah. yeah and your blessing now that you say that. Um yeah, and I could see the mutual the mutuality that you're talking about here, and the levelness of you know the the people of the kingdom and that sort of thing. It was it was beautiful to behold. But let's let's be honest for the sake of those who are thinking about maybe putting their toes in this water. What's been one of your most heartbreaking disappointments mm. as you think back? You can't be impenetrable. If you're going to love it all, you're going to be disappointed. And so um, one of the first people that I got connected to, uh, this man, Jonathan, who he and his girlfriend at the time, she was pregnant and um, she they they were getting kicked out of their camping spot. We relocated them to another camping spot. They got kicked out of that spot. We relocated them. She eventually delivered the baby. And uh, there had been drugs in her system. And so the baby was taken from her mm. when she left the hospital. She left this person. She left Jonathan altogether. And so in one week, Jonathan lost both his girlfriend and his access child. to his child. Yeah. And over the past um, year has been working with CPS to try and get just parental visits. And I think yeah. watching his story play out has been particularly challenging. Mm. There's been someone on the streets who, you know, it, it is violent and um, we could go into a long conversation about the good that happens in encampments, but also some of the horrendous evils that Mm -hmm. happen in encampments. There's a good of social community of connection. There's also drug trafficking. There's trafficking and abuse of of women particularly. And um, so being able on one particular day, there was someone who just said, and I know this this woman, and she's young, and said, I can't do it anymore. I need off the streets. And we instantly were able to connect and get her housing. And, you know, a couple couple days later, she had voluntarily left housing and, and gotten back on the streets and put herself in a, in a harmful position. Mm-hmm. And you start to wonder, like, why does this happen? Like, why yeah. is it that, why is it that someone can go from we're being on the streets to being in a safe space and make that journey back. And, you know, I, I could give some answers as to why I think it is, but it's, 
it's hard and it's hard to watch. And mm. right now, this person that I'm describing, she's in a good spot and she's going through some rehab program and I'm very hopeful. Yeah. But I also am sober and aware that success in terms of getting yeah. off the streets is a very low number. It's success is not like an 80 or 90%. There's a high level of recidivism. And so yes. it's closer to like five to 10%. And so most people that you see, um, because they don't have extended family network, they fall back into fall back into patterns, fall back into communities that are ultimately harmful. And right. it, it's hard to watch time and time again yeah. um, happen to people. What I hear you saying, Matt, is that no matter how sincere your love, our love might be, um, no matter how pure our motivations may be, um, no matter how passionate we might be to be agents of healing and good in the kingdom, that none of that puts us in control. And it seems to me like a vulnerability that you face every week that I commend you for is you cross that street every week. You don't turn around anymore. And in doing so, you're constantly making yourself vulnerable because you're just not in control. Mm -hmm. That's, that's well said. The illusion of control is probably the thing that I face the most in life and mm. going onto the streets reminds me of my life. I'm not in control yeah. of this world. I'm not in control. And so do I entrust myself to a savior and I'm confronted with people who lack agency. That's, that's the big yeah. poverty is lacking agency um, yeah. to move into freedom. Yeah. So I, I remember thinking um, when I was, with you or flying home or something um, like is a cold bottle of water, a sandwich on the weeks that you do it, Eucharist, us praying for people, letting people pray for us. Like, can that be enough or do I have to win? And meaning, you know, get people off the street or whatever, or make some dramatic fix in their life. And then if I have to do that, that means I do have to start trying to control things. And it just feels to me that that's one of the great places of spiritual wisdom in this is to be so profoundly present without having to try to dictate some sort of outcome that we arbitrarily place upon an interaction. Am I right? I mean, to be fair, I would love everyone that I encounter to be housed. So, yeah. um, and I've, I've gotten to be with two people. I've journeyed with at least two who have gone from the streets into permanent housing, which mm -hmm. is like so exciting. Yeah. But you're, you're exactly right. When people get into this work with me, the thing I say, how do you prepare for this? I say, if you really want to prepare for this, you need to level up your contemplative life. Mm. And I, I'm not being facetious about that. Like I yeah. really think there is, we go into this with a saviorism type mentality, thinking I'm going to end homelessness in Austin. What does that even mean? Can't yeah. end homelessness in Austin, but yeah. can I be present to the 40 or 50 chronically homeless folks mm -hmm. in my parish? I can do that. I can be present to them, trusting Christ uh, to love them and to save them beyond my means. Yeah. And as they decide, as a person decides, I want to take steps towards um, towards housing, I can, I can go to doctor's appointments. I can connect them to social workers. Yeah. If all they want is food every day, there is an abundance of food in our city and they will not, they will have food. But, um, but to be with those whom Christ loves so much, you know, Dorothy Day, doesn't she say like, it's not too late to love Jesus. You didn't have yeah. to be alive 2000 years ago. You can love him now. Yeah. 
Right. And especially in the face of the poor, you can love them. But you're entirely right. There is it there there requires just a a sense of peace mm. that this is out of my control. And my my work is simply to show up and to love the poor. And we're speaking specifically right now about um about the chronically homeless or about a person experiencing homelessness, but I actually think this is just any church work. The church is called to love its neighbors. And so whoever's in your parish who is particularly poor, I do think the scriptures say, go and be with, go and extend love to. And that's a call on all clergy and all churches to, to actually go and do. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, being once again, generous with your time. Only, here on a podcast with lots of your uh, colleagues and contemporaries who would be listening. Thank you so very much for the model you are to all of us in C4SO of Christ and his kingdom and the spirit and Eucharist and sandwiches and laying on of hands and water bottles uh, all around your parish there. We're super grateful for who you are and your, your quality of being. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Todd. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.